even though we have better cars, better planes, better food, better houses, better mobile phones, better this, better that, whatever you want to measure, people are getting less and less happy. And this is a profound problem. Now, it's directly addressed by meditation. Meditation is extremely valuable because it enables you to take a step back and look at your reflexive reactivity, learn how to look at it. And when you do so, you find your center. You suddenly find your own self-worth is independent of your reflexive reactivity. Are you a burnt out overachiever who's buried in responsibilities and feeling like life's passing you by? Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope, where you get to rediscover laughing from the belly and getting back to your meaningful one-on-one -on -one time with others. This is where you get to learn how to make that lonely ache vanish and get rid of your nonstop inner critic. Learn self-compassion techniques and give yourself grace. How to stop feeling short-fused. Light up again to see people. Remember that? If you've been wishing for some kind of shift, you're in the right place. I'm Lauren Abrams, and I get to help you feel that magic again since going through my own dark night of the soul by chatting with incredible leaders, healers, and change agents who give you their message of hope after overcoming challenges of their own. And today we're talking to meditation teacher, author, scientist, and mindset adjuster, Richard Dixie. Are you ready to break free of artificial barriers and worrying about what others think? Do you get the feeling that life's passing you by? You're in for a treat as you get to hear how to live with your heart wide open and get off the hamster wheel. Learn stress-busting techniques you get to use right now. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope, Richard. Hi. What an introduction. That's great. Yeah, I know. I have so much fun writing them. Well, first, congratulations on your new book, Three Minutes yeah. a Day. Three sure. Minutes a Day, 14-week course to learn meditation and transform your life. And I always tell people, you can meditate for three minutes a day, and you've written a book about it. So, well, you're a scientist, so that backs that up right there. So, three minutes a day and, and you can transform your life. I believe it. You don't have to convince me, but how can three minutes a day transform somebody's life? Okay. Well, that's the $64,000 question. It does, isn't it? Right? Like, I, let's just go cut right to the chase. <laughs> Here's a book, three minutes a day. There it is. 14 weeks old. Amazon, Vance, et cetera. Anyway, so yeah. Let's, let's talk about why, why meditate at all, because really at the end of the day, that is the question. Why are we meditating? What, what is meditation about? Well, we're all victims of reactive, rea overreactiveness, reflexive reactivity. Now, reflexive reactivity is where one thing and another is happening and we're turning this way and that seemingly out of control. And the reason for reflexive reactivity is deep and needs to be understood and can be directly addressed by meditation. And it, it comes down to a whole bunch of factors that have come together in a kind of perfect storm in modernity. Because most of us are educated with the idea that there's an external world out there, which we learn about through science and technology and all this stuff. And we're nothing much. We're just some kind of uninteresting onlooker in some small planet in an insignificant part, you know, all this stuff they say. And this whole idea is utterly nonsensical. We are the absolute center. And the reason for it is the only experience we have is either the five senses or our thoughts and imaginations. 
Everything else is an inference based on those experiences. The only experience we actually ever have, five senses, thoughts and imagination. Now, the problem is you go to school, nobody says that. Nobody yeah. says actually, all you're going to get are these six things. You're not getting anything else. Everything else you make up. You say, well, it's probably this, probably that, might be this, might be that. Now, what happens is in school, where we're taught reading, writing and arithmetic, we should be taught reading, writing and meditation. And the reason for it is meditation is how you look at your five senses, thoughts and imaginations themselves, because they are the only thing you actually ever experience. Nothing else. Five senses, thoughts and imagination. Those comes as a great surprise to many people who go, well, what about black holes and I don't know, you know, the election and you know, whatever, all these things. The truth is they are inferences coming from the five senses, thoughts and imagination. So we need to learn how to look. Now, the problem is we are reflexively reacting to the five senses, thoughts and imaginations. And, and, the probably, reason, what you're, and probably what you're saying right now. And probably what I'm saying right now. And the reason for that is that we have this protective mechanism, a map maker that makes a world for us moment to moment to moment to moment to moment from those five senses, thoughts and imagination. And it does so to protect us, make us better, improve our lives, all that kind of good talk. Mm -hmm. Really, this thing is designed to keep us alive because we can learn from our experience. How? Because all the time we are storing away experiences arising from our five senses, thoughts, and imaginations, and then we are recognizing what happens to us, recognizing, and going, oh, I know what this is, I know what this is, I know what this is, I know what this is. That's what we call the world. Now, that process of recognition is reflexive. And what happens nowadays in the perfect storm of modernity is we have very sophisticated computers that are designed to capture our attention by showing us things we're going to react to because advertisers want to capture our attention so they can sell us things. So we now have computers beaming this stuff at us. Now we have mobile phones really beaming it at us. And now we've got robots, chat, GBT and all that, that are going to mimic our world and reflect it to us. Now, this is causing an inordinate amount of stress and alienation. Stress because we're reacting all the time and alienation because if we don't understand that it is us who is reacting, if we don't have any way of getting there, we just feel alienated. We don't really matter. So unfortunately, even though we have better cars, better planes, better food, better houses, better mobile phones, better this, better that, whatever you want to measure, people are getting less and less happy. And this is a profound problem. Now, it's directly addressed by meditation. Meditation is extremely valuable because it enables you to take a step back and look at your reflexive reactivity, learn how to look at it. And when you do so, you find your center. You suddenly find your own self-worth is independent of your reflexive reactivity. So your sense of alienation diminishes and eventually goes. You become, again, the center of your world like you were when you were a little child. When you first went to school, 
before they taught you all this nonsense about the external world and alienated you into a working adult. And that is really what meditation is about. And I feel quite passionately that meditation should be done by everybody. This is not some religious thing. This is not some spiritual thing. This is a basic life skill, like learning how to read and write. And if people were to meditate more, they would find enormous value. And now the amazing thing is you can do it really easily. It's not complicated to learn how to meditate. Yeah, breathe in and out. Breathe in and out. <laughs> What's happened is the meditation traditions have largely come from Asia where they are unbroken. So, you know, one of the things that's worth saying here is that the Asian meditation traditions are unbroken. So you can talk to meditation teachers who say, well, I was taught this by my teacher and he was taught it by his. And they can go back thousands of years unbroken. It's not like these are modern things, but they're for monks. So, of course, monks, I mean, these guys are full time religious guys. They can meditate for hours. They've got nothing better to do. <laughs> they are monks. Right. So the whole tradition is predicated on people meditating for hours. But you don't need to to learn to meditate. And it's possible to get the benefit of meditation in really very short amounts of time. And that's really why I thought this book was worth writing. And it's so true because I've meditated for a long time and anybody, I was a single mom by the time my kids were two and five and I had full custody and I didn't have time for a long meditation at all. And there were times I gave myself permission. I had to for three minutes. I would lock myself in the bathroom. Because they just walk right in. They don't care. They don't care if you're in the bathroom. They're little. They just, and I would just have to just breathe because I had to fill my own oxygen. It's the whole airplane analogy. And it's just so true. And and quarterly, I'd have to go on a long weekend. And I, I learned that when my own health became at risk that, oh, mommy needs a long weekend to fill, really fill her oxygen because I worked and I had them full time. And, and it's how I really learned this is what I need first is meditation. But people who say there were a couple of things, you, there were a lot, there was a lot you said in there. But if we told people this will increase your self-worth, I think we'd get a lot more takers in the United States. I don't know, but I can't speak for other countries. Well, it's, it's really interesting, this thing about self-worth. What is yeah, it is. It's I mean, sad. <laughs> I look at my kids. Now, I've got a 20-year-old and a 19-year-old. They have been judged with GPA scores since they were eight. Every single term, they get a number. This is what you're worth. It is the most appalling insult to humanity. No, but so this is interesting about self-worth. Let's just look at this. Go we, ahead. We belong. We belong. We don't have to earn. Yeah. We belong. The problem is our entire culture is telling us we only exist if we work. We have to make some kind of thing in order to belong. Now, this, again, all comes from the same alienation of the idea that the external world is real and we are not. It's the other way round. Yeah. We already belong. We need to take back our self-worth. Meditation is a way of training your subjectivity so you see what actually is. And with that clarity, you get decency, you get kindness, you get a willingness to look at evidence so you don't believe in flat earth, but you also belong. So let's go. 
back to your kids who have been judged by their GPA? Endlessly. And of course, what happens is they land up alienated. They go, well, you know, I, I, you know, I said to one of them, I said, what interests you? He said, whatever will get me a good grade. Oh my God. I, I, so depressing. Now it's not, it's not the school's fault. It really isn't. And it's not the educators' fault. It's the system that continually judges people by a number, literally reduces them to a number. And to me, this is really wrong. And now I'm not, you know, education isn't the problem. If they were meditators. So okay, that was my next question. Do yours opinion? Do your kids meditate? Yeah, a bit, but you know, they're teenagers. Yeah, <laughs> not mine. <laughs> you know, get real. But the truth is they do understand this a little bit. So they're not as alienated as they might be. But the fact is, I'm sure as they get older, they will start meditating because they know what it is. So what? you're three minutes a day. Yeah. So that's a good segue into your yeah. three minutes a day. What do you suggest that someone does? Do you have them just concentrate on their breath for three minutes a day? Just sit and be quiet in breath, out breath? What? Okay, so meditation is in two phases, really. The first phase is called calmness. Shamata is its proper name, calmness meditation. And the idea is you become less reflexively reactive. Now, it's literally like you have a glass of water with a bit of dust in it. You could, if you're always doing this all the time, the water is. And just for burning. everybody who's listening, Richard is, um, is stirring up uh, his glass with yeah, his hand. Up my glass. This, is the lawyer in, this is the lawyer in me describing what you're doing. Go ahead. All right, so I'm stirring up a glass of water. Yes. Off, and the water is turbulent and you can't see through it. If you just stick that water on a shelf and walk away and come back in half an hour, the dust has settled, the water is clear. That is the second type of meditation. It's called vipassana. Pasana means seeing, and V means clearly or discriminating. It's clear seeing. Now, clear seeing is the result of shamatha, calmness. If you become calm, you become clear. If you're not calm, you cannot be clear because you're being stirred up. Now, remember, all we get is either the five senses or thoughts and imaginations. The six gates, it's called. Really simple, six gates. The way we begin is to take one of those gates. It doesn't actually matter which. One of those gates, forget the other five, concentrate on one, and begin to develop our ability to direct our attention. So we become less reactive. Now, I actually start the book with the visual gate. That's the stuff that comes through your eyes. And what I say is look at a candle. And the reason for this is to simply for three minutes, look at a candle, a real candle, not a picture of a candle, not a video of a candle, a real candle, get one and light it, and then look. And what will happen every time you start looking, a thought will come or a noise will go and your attention, because you're reactive, will immediately shift away. No, 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 I want to come back and look at my candle. And three minutes is a long time. When you do something like that, you know, three minutes is nothing. Trust me, look at a candle for three minutes and you'll be going, wow, this is forever. But as you do this over the course of a week, gradually your attention will come to the candle and stay there. Now, this is the first step. Now, I could have begun with any one of the senses, but the visual sense is a particularly interesting one because we are very visually dominated. We have binocular vision. Things catch our attention visually all the time. So the visual vision is a good place to start, to start concentrating your attention. 
Then having done that, we go further with another exercise in the second week that examines what attention is. Because attention is not well understood by most people, what attention's really made of. And again, we need to know that so we can stabilize our attention and not be so reflexively reactive. So this is a very deliberate approach, but it only takes three minutes. And what I always say to people is, look, I'll explain everything I want you to do, why you might do it, what the benefit is. All you have to do is do it. And the deal is this. The problem is because I only receive what comes through my five senses, thoughts and imaginations, and you only receive what comes through your five senses, thoughts and imaginations. I can't show you what a meditation term means. So I can't show you shamatha, like I might be able to show you a brick or a watch or anything else. It's not an object in the world. I have to lead you into an experience so you know what shamatha is. Just like I couldn't tell you what chocolate was by giving you a bunch of words. It's sweet, it's sticky, it's a bit oily, it's brown. None of that tells you what chocolate was. I have to give you a piece of chocolate. Then you go, oh, I know what chocolate is. It's like that. So this book is designed to give you the taste of meditation so that the actual experiences have a referent that you yourself know because you have experienced them. That's a great analogy. Yeah, well, I can't tell you. I can't. Yeah, I can't tell you what chocolate is. You have to experience it. Yeah. That, that's a great one. What do you hope people will get out of 14 weeks of three minutes a day? Well, my hope is if they go through these 14 weeks, they will land up with a stable meditation practice, which they can fall back on anytime. Now, the reason for the three minute thing is because meditation is really valuable in your working day. Yeah. It, you know, people meditate on, I meet people, say, oh, I meditate eight hours a day. The truth is, if you just sit on a cushion all the time, what use is that? Is if the moment you get off your cushion, you're back to being reflexively reactive. It's not much, not much use to you at all. What you really want is a practice that can help you while you're being stressed and disturbed and pulled this way and that. So my hope is at the end of the 14 weeks, people will have access to a practice. To a, it, That's why it's, sometimes I say welcome to a calm place. Access to a center they can fall back into. Now, this is not to say, oh, I'm making a little castle within which I can sit and kind of hide from the world. Because actually the calmness we are seeking is within experience. Yeah. It's not away from experience, it's within it. And again, understanding how we can be calm and yet be in experience is one of the greatest discoveries you can make honestly it's, it's and it's so true if somebody says something and i feel that reaction in me i can close my eyes breathe into it and i don't react you know. i'm just i just i feel it if i'm not meditating i'm reacting yeah. and i don't have to go there don't have to I go there separate, i can separate from it and i get the balance that you talk about when i started giving myself permission even now my kids are now i've got a graduate i've got the one that's just started his junior year and i've time but i don't know how much time i actually have but i give myself permission oh i only have 10 minutes that's fine you know i give myself permission i don't have to put my tush on a cush for 45 minutes every day you know like it's what time i have it's made so much difference 
so that I still, and, and since I saw the title of your book, I went, oh, that's right. I can take three minutes and uh, it all works. And your head, I love the first instruction I was ever given is you can't do meditation wrong. I was told that. And that was, I'm so glad that's the first instruction. But when you said the candle part, I have to share. That's, I remember sitting down and listening to a thing, put your candle here, do this. I went, wait, put the candle where? And, and that left brain lawyer part of me went, wait, where is it supposed to be? And I was so, I didn't know which side, where am I putting it? I was still so stuck on where the candle was supposed to be and where like, yeah, I had to be exact. <laughs> you took the, the right path. The yeah, whole you... is to understand the basis. <laughs> once people understand the basis, once they understand the six gates, this is such an important idea. And you know, how many of it? I was educated. You know, I only discovered this truth about the world really when I was in my late middle age. I always thought there was a real world because we're told there's a real world. But the honest yeah. truth is this real world is an inference. And that's why scientists keep changing their mind about what it is. They keep saying, well, actually, maybe it's this or maybe it's that. They, all we have are events. And we're making a map based upon those events. And we're calling it the world. And you're not surprisingly people fight over it because they don't really know what they're talking about. And unless we can get back to the actuality of our experience, we're always going to be confused. And it is, it is remarkable. Three minutes. That's all it is. Just three minutes. And I wrote this book for mums and for guys, you know, not meditators. I'm not really that interested in meditators. I really wanted to find people who just feel stressed. That's the thing. So, well, how did you come into meditation? Oh, uh, well, me, you know, I, I'm a child of the 60s and I was trained as a scientist. The, the 60s was a really heroic period of science. You know, for those who lived through it, they'll know, you know, DNA had just been broken and we were flying to the moon. And we were doing all this stuff. You know, we really believed 2001, a space odyssey. We really believed that science was going to solve everything. And then gradually, as I, I went to university, went to Oxford, and, and I remember gradually going, wow, I, I don't believe this. They're, they're things that science can't say. And I still become dimly aware that science wasn't going to solve everything. And I remember my Don at Oxford, who hated me, he said to me one day, he said, Dixie, within 200 years, science will have explained everything. And I remember thinking, you're just an idiot. Really, you know, you're clever, but you're a fool. And so I went off to India. I took a year off Oxford and went to India and began to expose myself to a culture where there was a completely different emphasis. And it took me a very long time to square this circle between valid external knowledge, which is what science can give you, not true, valid. That means it fits the data well. It doesn't mean it's true. It just means it, it works, right? Valid. That's good. That's scientific knowledge. But I began to realize late in my life that that kind of knowledge could never be complete because ultimately it says nothing about me and my five senses, thoughts, and imaginations. It can't. It's all about inference. I'm looking for direct. And so late in life, when I, I, I was, had the great good fortune to meet my wife, who's the eldest daughter of a Tibetan Lama, a Tibetan uh, teacher who came out of Tibet, one of the very few left alive who's still trained in Tibet, actually. And I, by this stage, got interested in Buddhism and was meditating a bit and all that kind of stuff. But really, when, when we married, we decided to come and live in America. And we started this college called Dharma College, which is designed 
to take Asian ideas and express them in modern, simple language. And I began to teach meditation. And that's where the book came from, from the transcripts of those teachings. And I am absolutely convinced that meditation goes right alongside technology. They go together. And when people meditate, they become better at what they're doing. They get better judgment. And the reason they get better judgment is because they have vipassana. They can see more clearly. Why? Because they're not reacting. Right. And three minutes a day makes it accessible to anyone. Everyone has three minutes. I mean, there's a wonderful quote. You may know this one. Water cuts through stone, not by cutting hard, but by cutting often. Yes. Oh, very good. It's exactly that. Drip, drip, drip. It's just that, you know, you can cut through a rock with a dripping tap if you just drip often. So the three minute thing is just it's such a small commitment, just three minutes every day. And what will happen is like a dripping tap fills a bath, you gradually develop this capacity and you suddenly find, wow, I've got a new skill. I've, I've learned something and you haven't learned it with huge effort. Yeah. And Richard didn't mention he didn't mention there's also an app. There is an app. Well, yeah, there's an yeah, app yeah. and everything. And we have links for everything, all of this for yeah. Richard. Um, yeah, there's the app I made, which goes yeah. with the book to enable yeah. you to do yeah. that. Yeah, and there's links for all of this. It's just, it's amazing. We could go through all of these. There's um, one I thing do... I want to say, though. I want to say this. Oh, go ahead. I say to people, look, don't read this like a book. Yeah, oh, no, it's experiential. Chapter, yeah, yeah, yeah. The first chapter, do the meditation for seven days, then read the next chapter. And the app makes you do that because the app has the meditation, but it won't release the second meditation until it's recorded you seven times doing the first one. And that's because it's not meant to be read for information. It's really a course. Yeah, it's, it's fun, too. This is fun. This is not like something like it's not work. three minutes. Yeah. yeah. It, and you feel good. I remember I did one like it was way harder, but I wanted to. I was still in the learning stage. I was like, I wanted to hurry. It felt so good. I was like, I want to hurry up and get to the end. I went, this is the antithesis of what I'm doing <laughs> to hurry up and get to the end because I wanted to feel even better. But, there's no good meditation. There's no bad meditation. Yeah, there's exactly. just meditation. That's yeah. it. And, you know, that's absolutely correct. So, you know, all of the judgment, all that GPA stuff, all, you know, three point <laughs> all that stuff, that's not what meditation is about. There's no good and yeah. bad. There's no cause in meditation. Meditation is not to do with that whole judgment thing. It's to do with engagement. And the better and more profoundly you're engaged, you suddenly realize all this stuff doesn't matter at all. And you get this, what I I, I like to call it laterality. You get space to react. You're not up against the screen all the time, reflexively reacting to everything that's happening to you. You're laid back. You're not lazy. You're just not reactive. And so, again, sometimes people say, oh, you mean just relax? Like they go and sit on a beach and just pass out. No, that's not it. It's not like being passed out. It's actually being spacious whilst engaged. And it's a beautiful quality. We all have it. There's no question we all carry this quality. And what it brings is creativity, because suddenly you see things you never saw before. It brings stability. Suddenly you're more emotionally resilient. You're not being pushed this way and that by problem after problem. And, you know, it, it brings insight. So you see things which other people may miss. It's like remarkable how this simple change has such a big consequence. And I say to people, look, whatever you do, 
when you developed a meditation practice, whether you're religious or not, whether you want to diarize, whether you're creative and you want to be more creative, it really makes no difference. You're going to be wiser, more stable, less judgmental, less emotionally reactive and happier all in one go without doing anything apart from being less reactive. It's literally that. And then on that basis, seeing clearly, you know, we have natural intelligence. We don't have to develop intelligence. We are naturally intelligent. The problem is our natural intelligence is always being pushed around by this obsessive map making. And as a result, we land up robotic and trapped. So again, just take a break and it's good. Yeah. Do you have a message of hope you want to give? Although I feel like all of this has been a message of hope. Yeah, well, the message of hope is this. I think the arrival, there has never been a more crucial time for us to learn how to meditate. And in so doing, we will be better at dealing with the challenges that face us. That's my message of hope. And I believe people do this, they will do better. They're not because they're going to get saved or because I don't know, whatever, just because as human beings, they will do better. And that's really where change begins and ends. So to me, if people become better human beings, we'll get through all the problems we've had. We will get through them. I have great faith in humanity, but our humanity needs time to develop. And your book is is so easy and uplifting and, and fabulous. It's a great, great way to get right there. So thank you so much for being a guest today on 52 Weeks of Hope, Richard. Thank you too. I've enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and take with you the messages of gratitude, openness, and growth. Such fulfilling messages to take into your week ahead. Be sure to share the episode with your friends and to take and review the podcast so more people can feel less alone in the overwhelm and to remember the pause. Answers emerge in the pause. And instead of adding to your to-do list, how about a to-don't list? Which is my segue into the series I have starting for you that I'm so excited about. It's a show for burnt out, overachieving type A moms. Unlike other shows for burnt out, overachieving moms only we take you off the hamster wheel by ditching the to-do list for the to-don't list that starts next week and until next week i'm lauren abrams thanks for listening